loving sairam and greetings from prashanti nilayam i hope you recall that my main aim in this series of talks on the vedas is to first give you a broad flavor of what this great heritage of humanity is all about and then move on to a description of how in olden times the vedas kept company with man during his entire life as a part of this program i offered in the first two talks a general introduction of sorts and in the third one that is my last talk i gave you a glimpse of the famous taitri upanishad in the same spirit i shall in my present talk which is the fourth in the series offer a short overview of the equally famous purusha suktam the taitri upanishad and purusha suktam are but mere samples there are many other examples that could have been chosen but one reason why i have focused on these two is that these two are heard very often in prashanti nilayam moreover radio sai has already presented an elaborate series on these two favorites and i thought maybe by locking on to these two i might be able to connect more easily with you on the subject of the vedas now what exactly is a suktam very simply put the word suktam means a good word thus purusha suktam means in praise of purusha that is what this wonderful hymn with 24 stanzas is all about this of course raises many questions like who exactly is this purusha and why are his praises being sung purusha is none other than the supreme lord who it turns out is known by many names in this particular suktam the term purusha is the name that is most often used as krishna explains to arjuna in the bhagavad gita in the ultimate analysis god is formless absolute and beyond both space as well as time purusha is one name for this formless and abstract god there are of course many other names like paramatma brahman parabrahman and so on call him by any name including allah jehovah or whatever the fact of the matter is that god supreme whom i am currently referring to as purusha is infinite timeless eternal changeless etc etc the above statement might immediately create a doubt if the lord supreme namely purusha is so remote then what does it mean when swami says i am in you above you below you ahead of you behind you etc the answer to this is simple though the supreme lord lives in his eternal abode beyond space and time he has also projected himself into the finite universe to appear in various forms in this sense god also pervades the universe thus god is both above creation and also below it above creation he is in an absolute state okay but what about below creation the lord in his avatar as krishna has clearly explained that krishna says that in creation god is both unmanifest as well as manifest the manifest aspect 
is easier to understand. In brief, it means that everything that is a part of the physical universe is, in the ultimate analysis, God and nothing but God. Thus, if you go to the very roots, wind is God, tree is God, mountain is God, river is God, crow is God, vulture is God, and so on. You name it and it's God. Sounds extraordinary, does it not? Yet, if we think about it carefully, we cannot escape that conclusion. Hardcore non-believers of today would shake their heads at all this and smile, perhaps condescendingly. What nonsense, they would exclaim. How can wind be God? Let us hear what Swami has to say about the wind. He sometimes asks in his discourses, Has man made any fan that can blow as fiercely as a typhoon or a hurricane? Those are perhaps not his exact words, but they convey the gist of his remark. Let us just pause for a moment and reflect. How many of us realize that during a typhoon, wind speed touches 250 kilometers per hour? Yes, 250 kilometers per hour. Do you know that a Category 4 hurricane and such hurricanes do sweep across the Atlantic from time to time? A Category 4 hurricane is as big as the state of Texas and that it brings nearly half a meter of rain, that is 500 millimeter of rain. Do you know that even at the periphery of this typhoon, the wind speed is about 60 kilometers an hour? Swami asks, has man made a blower that can generate that kind of air speeds and that to over such vast areas? That is the real point. Where can such power come except from God? Let us now swing to the other extreme and consider the crow. Ancients in India revered the crow. They were not crazy, but they were deeply appreciative of the fine balance in God's extraordinary master plan. How many realize that the unimpressive and somewhat ugly looking crow is actually nature's scavenger? Throw perishables, and the crow comes from somewhere to eat it all. Ancient Indians revered the crow because they saw God in the crow coming to their help. If we look carefully, every little thing in nature, right from the plankton upwards, plays a delicate role in preserving the integrity and the balance of nature. Take the fish. As Swami says, the fish clean up the waters, including the great oceans. But what does man do? First, he pollutes the waters, and then he destroys fish stock almost en masse. So, if we choose to think about it all this carefully and objectively, it should be abundantly clear that nature does have a carefully crafted master plan in which there are many players, both big and small each with its own unique role to play. Although these players in the cosmic drama may appear to us with various forms, in the ultimate analysis, all roles are in fact played by God. We may not understand all of it, but that does not mean that the master plan in the cosmic drama do not exist. The non-believer might perhaps reluctantly concede that there is possibly some kind of a plan 
but at the same time he might argue that the existence of a plan does not mean that there is a guiding spirit behind it the ancients of india had no use for such evasive and meaningless arguments they freely accepted and with much joy too that there was a lord supreme and that not even an atom could move without his grace or he willing it in a nutshell the vedas loudly proclaim that god is everywhere and in everything from the tiny ant to the galaxies this incidentally is a phrase that swami often quotes chimalo brumalo in other words god is present everywhere in the manifest or the material world what about the unmanifest presence of god in creation that also is not difficult to understand at least in principle scholars discuss the omnipresence of god using three important words they are immanent transcendent and absolute in the universe that is in creation god is both immanent and transcendent his absolute aspect on the other hand extends even beyond the universe let us take in all this slowly what do i mean by saying god is immanent in this universe let's take the physical universe i am a physicist by training and i have written many books explaining how physical laws operate in the universe when it comes to the atom using relativity quantum mechanics and electromagnetism we can more or less completely describe all the properties of the atom by the way all these predictions of science have been meticulously verified and in fact many have won the nobel prize for doing just that the point about all this is that we can explain physical behavior using the laws of science alone without explicitly bringing god into the discussion fine does that mean that god does not exist atheists would of course argue that god is not necessary god is irrelevant etc but do you know what the wise would say they would say yes the dirac equation and its extension in the form of quantum quantum electrodynamics by feynman explains a lot of natural phenomena no doubt but where did the laws of relativity the laws of electrodynamics and the laws of quantum mechanics pop from god is immanent in all those beautiful laws gandhi once said there is an indefinable mysterious power that pervades everything i feel it though i cannot see it gandhi was merely saying god is immanent in the universe in every atom in of it in fact okay agree that god is immanent in the universe what about the transcendental presence of god in the universe well the way i understand it is as follows by the way my view is shaped by what krishna says in the 8th chapter of the gita let us consider a human being or for that matter even an ant i find the ant absolutely amazing Incidentally the brilliant Feynman found it amazing too and in fact he once spent many days studying the behavior of the ant at the chemical or biological level the ant is just a collection of biomolecules of various types 
but this collection of biomolecules can do amazing things it can move and also react to situations let us say an ant is moving on the ground place a small piece of paper across its path what does the ant do it immediately reacts and moves away if the ant senses danger it tries to protect itself in short the ant is aware it exists it is conscious of its existence that awareness that consciousness of being alive is a capacity a power that is beyond the power described by the laws of physics chemistry or even biology the laws of physics are mere mechanical laws till today science has simply not been able to say what life is what awareness is what consciousness is etc yet life awareness and consciousness do exist we all know that that life force or prana as the ancients called it is the transcendent aspect of god there are many such arguments i can give but i shall skip them for the moment turning next to the absolute aspect of god even this is evident on earth consider a human being full of daya or compassion and shama or forbearance daya and shama are eternal virtues beyond space and time they are aspects of the supreme god or purusha when they shine in an in a human being they represent in some measure the presence of the absolute within this is what krishna refers to as adhyatma so the long and short of it is that in the universe or if you prefer in creation there is the manifest aspect of god and also the unmanifest aspect of god purusha suktam draws attention to all this as did krishna later with much clarity i might add putting everything together we have the following picture one there is above everything else the absolute level of god who is eternal changeless and formless he is the lord supreme two when lord supreme brings the universe into existence he does so essentially by projecting himself into space time three thanks to this projection the universe too has bits and pieces of his glory and power only a tiny fraction of it in fact but even that tiny bit dazzles enormously four in the universe the lord is immanent in material entities both insentient and sentient five in creation the lord has also an unmanifest presence this is what scholars describe as the transcendental presence of the lord in the universe that is to say a subtle presence transcending material entities god is thus also present in subtle forms such as the life force and the mind the ancient spade obeisance to the life force because it is nothing but the lord and manifest in the universe what purusha suktam does is not only to call crisp attention to all this but also paint an allegoric and poetic picture of evolution itself to put it in slightly different words the purusha suktam gives a poetic description of god man the universe and the relationship between all these three the doubt might arise when god projects himself into lower dimensions to create the universe does this quantum at the absolute level get diminished 
the answer is simple and straightforward god is infinity and nothing can diminish infinity that incidentally is one way in which the concept of infinity is taught to students of mathematics infinity minus infinity remains infinity so much for the preliminaries let me now turn to the purusha suktam proper i shall not discuss the poetic and allegorical description it offers of creation instead i shall focus on the very first sentence it begins like this sahasra sirusha purushaha sahasraksha sahasrapad what this means is that purusha the supreme one pervades the entire manifest universe cognizing through all minds seeing through all eyes and working through all limbs he is everywhere where is he not enveloping in the universe from all sides he also transcends it into the infinite intangible and eternal realm of the absolute that is the gist of the opening stanza you might ask what is the meaning of saying for example god sees through all eyes the best way of discussing this point is to recall what happened many years ago during a discourse given by swami in the sai kulvant hall a devotee speaking in the divine presence and just before the divine discourse raised the question who is god when it was swami's turn to speak he said that such questions arise from ignorance because there is only god and nothing but god swami added people ask if there is only god then why don't we see him swami said you do not see god because you have curious notions about how god ought to look god is in everything including all human beings when the vedas say that he has a thousand eyes it does not mean that god is an entity with a thousand eyes in fact any form with thousand eyes would look grotesque what the vedas mean is that god sees through all eyes because he resides in all in other, in other words man must look upon society as god that is what swami said people may ask in that case why do the vedas speak of only thousand eyes the answer is simple in those distant days the population of the world was small and people thought in term, terms of thousands and not millions as we now do if those rishis were to describe god today in that same language they would perhaps speak of billions and not thousands that is what swami said in essence on that day and that observation of swami ought to make clear how we ought to interpret this opening stanza of purushottam I wish to follow up on this first stanza because it has a deep meaning and implication for the present time. As a prelude, allow me to draw attention to a hierarchy which Swami sometimes makes a reference to. The hierarchy is individual, society, nature, and God. The words that Swami actually uses are yashti, meaning individual, samashti, meaning society. Srishti meaning creation or nature, whichever term you prefer, and finally Parameshti meaning God. So Vyasti, Samasti, Srishti, and Parameshti, meaning individual, society, nature, and God. Swami goes on to add 
that the individual is a limb of society, which is a limb of nature, which in turn is a limb of God. In turn, this hierarchical relationship implies that every action of the individual must be in harmony with society, nature and God. Take a simple example. When one throws litter and garbage, one is causing disturbance to society, one is polluting the environment and finally one is out of sync with God who is the embodiment of perfection. The hierarchy drawn attention to by Swami is thus profoundly significant. No action of the individual must disturb society, nature and God. That's the point being made by Swami and it is far from trivial. Today, the world is highly interconnected thanks to air travel, satellite TV, internet, mobile phone, etc. Events happening in one place can affect thousands elsewhere within 24 hours. For example, say that the OPEC or the group that coordinates the oil pricing policies of the petroleum exporting countries meets in Vienna and decides to cut down pumping oil from the ground. Immediately, the price of crude oil shoots up in New York and London's markets. Worldwide, the price of petrol shoots up immediately. And people in Uganda, for example, a poor country in Africa, are affected. How are they affected? They are affected because the cost of transportation goes up for them. As it is, these poor people are hard-pressed for cash. And if on top of it, the transportation cost goes up, the price of everything goes up too. Take SARS next. Farmers in Thailand and Vietnam have huge poultry farms where, say, a bird flu epidemic breaks out. A farmer looks after the, who looks after the chicken gets infected and from him the flu spreads to Canada, France and so on. By the way, this is not imagination. All this has actually happened. What I am driving at through this example is that global connectivity has created a situation whereby an action of an individual can and does affect people elsewhere. In addition, it can also harm the environment. The impact on society can be in many dimensions, economic, material and even moral. Likewise, the impact on nature also can be diverse. Not only individuals but big companies via the policies they pursue also contribute to such massive global impact. Let me give one example of the latter. Driven by greed, big corporations are today fueling unwanted and excessive consumption of fast foods and soft drinks. In turn, this harms the health of huge sections of the population. Some types of consumerism promote pollution of nature and so on. Thus it is that today we see extensive pollution of air, water and land. In addition, greed eclipses the fear of sin and makes people forget God, compounding the problem. If all this is to be avoided, then one must pay careful attention to the content and the spirit of Purusha Saktam, imbibe its teachings and apply them sincerely in one's daily life. Times and lifestyles might have changed, but these changes do not make the basic lessons of spirituality irrelevant. On the contrary, 
they are more relevant to mankind than ever before by the way let us not imagine that big corporations and rich people alone violate moral laws if we inquire deeply every one of us would be found guilty in some way or the other so really speaking we should first fix ourselves and overcome our own personal deficiencies before pointing fingers at others as swami reminds us when we point one finger at others three of our fingers are actually pointing back at us people these days imagine that devotion for god is one thing and life is another it is understandable if people elsewhere take such an attitude but the surprising thing is that even swami's devotees tend to do this thus while overflowing with love for swami in his physical form they fail to see him pervade society and nature this can be dangerous because unconsciously perhaps they may tend to do things that are detrimental to society and harmful to nature vedic culture shaped man in such a way that his lifestyle made him in tune with society and in harmony with nature the purusha suktam taught man that god not only created society but also pervades it and this thousands of years before man had any chance of making a global physical impact positive or otherwise when we reflect on this we would see how wise the vedic seers were to encourage man to lead a harmonious life today more than ever before such harmonious living is a vital necessity when greedy individuals are dumping termites at the moral roots of society through the media while equally greedy corporations are encouraging unwanted consumerism even though non spiritual think tanks have warned against consumerism for example just a few weeks ago one of the think tanks set up by the united nations submitted a preliminary report on the ecosystem this report drew attention to the fact that some ecosystems have been damaged beyond repair while many others are facing extinction unless urgent control action is taken when we consider all such facts in con- conjunction with vedic thought we have to take our hats off and salute those in those far off days who had the wisdom to see what would come thousands of years later as swami says modern man is very intelligent in worldly matters he has extraordinary skills to do so many wonderful things but he lacks balance and that balance comes from inside and when the inside is shut out there can be serious trouble let me put all this in the following way imagine a big burning ship a big ship like say queen elizabeth the passengers in the ship can in principle be rescued using lifeboats but the situation faced by mankind today is not at all like that the planet is a spaceship making its own voyage through space and time each one of us is a passenger on the spaceship this is one ship that has no, no lifeboat service of the usual kind if anything terrible were to happen to the planet like say the greenhouse greenhouse effect for example every one of us would be in trouble deep trouble trouble is what we see everywhere 
and it just cannot be swept under the rug. We have to eliminate or at least mitigate these problems and for that there is only one way to return to moral law. To use Swami's words, we need Daiva Preeti and Papa Bhiti, love for God and fear of sin. Only then will there be morality in society. Morality is the only lifeboat that can save us and to make that boat show up, each and every one of us must develop deep and true love for God and a mortal fear of sin. We can't come here for darshan and then straight head to the casinos in Monaco or the hotspots in Las Vegas. As Jesus said, we have to choose either God or mammon. One cannot serve two masters at the same time. It is in that context that the universal truths that the Vedas enshrine become very relevant. I wonder whether you would agree with me. I think I have said enough for today. Let me now move over, allowing you to listen to a rendering of the Purusha Suktam, recorded here in Prashanti Nilayam. Thank you and Jai Sai Ram.